I truly believe that all teachers want to better their practice. And I think this idea that, that we get stuck in our ways comes from fear of failure. Hi, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of Connected Podcast, where we share inspirational stories of educational leaders working all around the world. My guest this week is Anna Frecker, who is working as a primary school teacher at an international school outside of Hamburg. In addition to her central role inside the classroom, Anna's been taking on lots of additional emerging leadership roles and responsibilities within that organization. And that's more or less the focus of our conversation today. We talk about what it's like to be an emerging leader, what are the characteristics of some emerging leaders inside the classroom, and what are they looking for within an organization. From the organizational standpoint, we also explore what are the preconditions for uh, support and development of these kinds of emerging leaders. I think a lot of teachers find themselves in this exact uh, position. And, and in fact, I think there are many teachers who find themselves later in their careers going into senior leadership roles, not out of deep desire, but because of um, maybe a lack of a, a pathway to uh, influence change in a positive way outside of those senior leadership roles. I think this is an, an unfortunate false choice or maybe an unfortunate necessary choice for many uh, emerging leaders, middle leaders, teacher leaders, because they often have uh, a sense of the classroom or a sense of uh, areas where they're actually able to make some change that aren't always aligned with the roles and responsibilities of senior leadership. And from the other perspective, I think senior leaders have so many day-to-day obligations that trying to influence classroom strategy or coach up teachers or even develop learning philosophies within the school it, it's it's a lot to take on. And, and I think that a really critical component for building the learning capacity of educational organizations is to find ways to identify these emerging leaders, to find ways to uh, energize them, to put them into really clear practice and to incentivize you know, the growth of these, these middle leaders and what they're able to offer for the organization. How are we able to incentivize? I think it's tricky because in a lot of organizations, the impulse is to promote, to um, put these kinds of emerging leaders into formal leadership positions. But, you know, that may not always be the best fit. As we speak to Anna today, one of the things that's really clear is that it's not a formal position that often motivates highly inspiring teachers, emerging teacher leaders. You know, it's, it's the ability to engage in meaningful projects to have an impact, to understand that the research and the efforts that they're putting into their classroom practice have you know, a broader impact on the organization beyond simply classroom, like one particular classroom. And I think that this is a critical issue. One way, one important way that Anna talks about within her organization, why it's been successful why it's been able to encourage um, emerging leaders is the sense that, first of all, there's a clearly articulated strategy. So when emerging leaders or teacher leaders are thinking about new initiatives, 
they can make sure that those are really clearly aligned with the overall strategy of the school, with the philosophy of learning within that school. And of course, you know, Anna talks about having a say in that philosophy. She also talks about very clear feedback from all sides, that she is open and willing to receive feedback and what's working and what's not. And she talks about senior leaders within her organization who are have a similar philosophy. Come in, talk about what worked and what didn't. Let's find a solution. And I think that's really, really critical. Maybe a, a central starting place is, well, why is it important to have these emerging leaders in, in the first place? What is it about middle leadership positions that, that offer some solutions that senior leaders can't always address? And I think what we've seen in the crisis, and Anna talks about this as well, is that organizations who are already used to using this sort of learning philosophy, incorporating feedback back, and, um, and have a high capacity for adapting, are able to respond in ways that are, that are meaningful, appropriate, um, and not crisis-based. And so the response to what's happening now in the COVID situation, Anna speaks about how, you know, the response and the way that teachers were able to adapt were, was something that was already built into the daily operations and the daily way of thinking. I think a lot of that comes, to, comes from um, identifying places where emerging leaders can have a role, can have an impact. So... Um, I really hope you enjoyed this conversation, whether you yourself are a teacher trying to think about how you might fit or develop yourself within an organization. If you're currently in a senior leadership position, I think this interview with Anna can really help identify some of the main motivators of emerging leaders. It's not always a formal leadership position. It's not always um, a role it's often more about the ability to have a meaningful impact on the organization and finding ways to do that that are aligned with a wider strategy is something that I hope senior leaders will take on board. There's a lot of talk, of course, about distributed leadership. And I think that one of the critical ways to make sure that leadership genuinely is dis distributed is to, to build up the capacity of members of the organization to identify young leaders and to give them responsibilities that actually matter. So I hope you enjoy this episode. But before we get into that, I want to give a little bit of feedback about my own perspective or about my own uh, journey in these first few episodes. Something I think rather interesting has been happening. Uh, and you'll hear it later in this episode. Often, the interview questions, at least from my side, tend to be a little bit formulaic or directed. And what's been happening is that after I stop recording or after I sort of end formally the podcast, the conversation continues in really interesting ways. And in previous episodes, I've incorporated that in some cases more naturally or tried to uh, edit that. But in this episode, I more or less left it as we spoke about it. So we end the episode and then we kind of come back to things. And it's been really fascinating to see how interactions are so different based on the frame. And I don't know if there's any value here for, um, you know, educational leadership, but thinking a lot about how we frame the conversation is such a critical component of the kinds of openness or dialogue that we're able to, to, uh, to engage in. It's been also a really interesting journey for me to be able to have in-depth conversations with people who 
I'm energized by, I'm inspired by. And I, I think that already in this project, one of the central outcomes that I had hoped for was the ability to make genuine connections with others. And hopefully you're able to hear those connections. Um, and hopefully you're able to maybe experience those kinds of genuine connections. Uh, that's certainly the goal and the aim of this project. I think as educators, we tend to be oftentimes by mistake a little bit too removed, too siloed. Our research goes in one category, our teaching practice in another, our conversations with colleagues in a third, and, and it's difficult sometimes to to find ways to bridge those gaps. So, boy, it's been really great to, to be able to do that at least for an hour each week. Okay, enough of me. Let's get the episode started. So I wanted to introduce Anna Frecker to the program today. Anna, thanks for coming on. And before we get going too far, would you mind please introducing yourself? Yeah, so um, I am living in Hamburg, Germany. I've been in Hamburg for five years now. Um, I'm originally from Las Vegas, Nevada in the United States, and I did my teaching placement in Sheffield, England, um, and then made the jump and luckily got with, I had a lot of luck there, um, that I got hired at an international school in Hamburg. Um, And I spent my first three years working at that school and I was working in early childhood education um, and wasn't really that thrilled with with that being my long-term position. Um, And then a new school opened up not too far away from from Hamburg um, and where I'm living. I've been teaching second grade there now for two years. Um, And prior to, I mean, kind of going into teaching, I never thought that I was going to leave the classroom. I kind of thought I'll do my teaching placements and then I'll maybe switch grade levels every couple of years. Um, And then I've just noticed this pattern that I felt to not want to stay in, not necessarily leave the classroom and leave the school, but the idea of a repetition every year sounded um, very daunting to me. Um, So when I moved to uh, the new school where I'm currently at, um, within, I want to say like three or six months, um, one of the members from the senior leadership team came to me and asked if I had ever considered doing leadership, um, in some sort. And I was completely taken aback by this because, um, yeah, I, it was just never something that I wanted to do. Um, and then slowly as that idea kind of messed around in my head, um, I had found the educational leadership program that you and I are doing right now in Finland. Um, Mm -hmm. And I still, to this day, do not necessarily ever see myself being like a head of school or a principal. But, um, and I was happy that when I, when I joined the MEL program, um, it was a, it's a program about people that want to be leaders, but not necessarily be the head leader. I think there are so many teachers who have that same kind of feeling where they have a capacity for leadership, a capacity to change the organization or help develop uh, education within the organization, but they don't necessarily have ambition for a directorship or leadership. So speaking as someone who's in that position, uh, maybe can you talk a little bit about what it is that you're interested in and what you're looking for? Yeah, I think I want to have this feeling that I'm contributing to the bigger picture of the school and not just my own classroom and what I can control there. I think teachers have a lot of power to shape what education looks like. 
Um, and I think now, especially in the pandemic, it's education. We have such a, a role and more of a role than, than just teaching content. It's about shaping, really shaping people for the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like this shift between content and, and shaping people in some ways mirrors this shift as you talked about earlier from working inside the classroom to having maybe a broader influence on the on the school community and i think there are lots of teachers and educators who find themselves sort of wondering okay what do i actually do how do i start this process of of um you know taking on additional responsibilities or maybe even uh, informal leadership positions. Yeah, I think teachers can become leaders by taking initiative without fear or failure. And to that, you need to have an admin team that facilitates that and fosters that. Um, I think part of it is you have to be very vulnerable. Um, and again, you have to be in a safe environment where that's allowed. But with vulnerability, you also have to be able to accept feedback on on what you've done. So I think sometimes people they feel shot down when they're when they have when they take all this initiative. But if if you're willing to take initiative, you have to be willing to take the feedback. You're really speaking my language here, and I I just wonder like what's the like what's the organization do to create that environment where I don't feel as a teacher. For example, if you come into my classroom and you give me some notes, I don't feel threatened. What are some of the ingredients that makes it okay for you to come into my classroom or me to come into your classroom and give you some notes? What has to happen in that organization? You have to assume that you can't assume bad intention, but I don't have experience with somebody that has come into my classroom and I just know they're looking for me to fail. But I think I have to always assume positive intent from my leadership. And when I give feedback to leadership, I express at the, at the forefront that I'm, I'm telling you this feedback because I, I care about this organization. Mm-hmm. And this is my way of showing you that I, I want this organization to be the best that it can be. You know, I think that mindset, that willingness to explore and be reflective and accept feedback from from all sides is one of the key markers of an organization that has the capacity to grow in in effective directions uh at least that's how it seems to me and maybe in some ways i'm also thinking about um the initiative that you talked about this culinary arts program and i wondered if it was connected to this environment as well you know this ability to create and generate new initiative yeah, I mean, so the school that I'm at, we've we have this guild program and last year when they had introduced it, they had kind of taken on board or they asked, you know, who's interested in what. Um so we have for the I I teach primary in the morning program and then in the afternoon we have um like a fashion guild, a makers guild, photography and culinary. And they told us when we were signing up for this you cannot be the expert of the guild that you're going to mentor. They, they did not want the art teacher to, who, has a, who has a background in textiles to take on the fashion guild. 
because then you're you're seen by the students as as the expert and that's one thing that I've repeatedly had to tell my students like half the stuff you guys want to cook and you want to create I've never done so I don't know the answers to everything and I think having that safe space from your admin it creates this culture in the school of of the type of environment it is. I mean, they always say you have to be willing to make mistakes, but if your own admin is telling you, Hey, we want you to take this project on, but you can't be the expert. That takes a lot of that. You have to really let your guard down to, to be that because, or to do that because teachers are always the expert in the room and then to not be the expert. It's difficult, but I think it, I've become quite comfortable with it. There has to be a good story of a of a disaster in the culinary program, like some student burning something crazy, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. There's <laughs> yes. We had um my I mean, we the first project we had done was to create a Christmas bakery. And um and that was kind of like this massive project based learning. Um that was the first project based learning that project based learning project that I had taken on. And which was just like completely way over my head. Um, and I've reflected with it with admin um, about it. And they've said like, you know what, you executed it. But for your first project, that's massive. That's a massive undertaking because it basically started in September and ended in December. And you read everything on project-based learning and it says like, start small, have a two-week project. Um, so yeah. Um, so the colon or the, the Christmas bakery, it was more or less a success. Um, it was, I would say more or less because we didn't necessarily make, make the profit that we wanted. Um, and then there was also just some logistical issues we had at the end. A lot of the students were on field trips the last days. So at the end of it, it was kind of four or five students finishing this project up. Um, but in the last project we were trying to make like tw- like these TikTok videos of cooking. Um, and I am, I'm new to TikTok. Um, so that was fun for the students to uh, explain it. <laughs> yeah, especially like if you're not, I mean, it was great though, because some of the students in that class that were that were new to it that semester, they had, they knew so much about TikTok and they were the leaders of it. And they were honestly, like some of the shy students. Um, and it was just such a, I don't know, refreshing moment for the kids, for me to see the kids be like, wait, you don't know how to do this. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I I've had, I've had so many of those moments where like, like I used to work at a boarding school and uh, you know, I would go out and play football with everybody and they were really good. And it was so weird to see me being, I mean, for them, I guess it was weird for them to see their teacher being so bad at something. I loved it. It was great. And then the next day in class, yeah. And the next day in class, people are like, Oh, it's not so scary, you know? Yeah. And I think when you have these lessons where you're not the expert, there's so many of these like teachable moments that Mm -hmm. come up. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're the expert on it and you know, everything, there's not that natural opportunity for all of that to, to happen. It's so powerful how this change in like the dynamics opens up so many alternative pathways or alternative questions. (laughs) I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but 
you know, I, I, I think I've been feeling something similar and I'm interested in your experience as well, but I've been feeling something similar in this current crisis situation. Like I, I'm not always the expert. I don't always have to have the answer. I don't exactly know what to do each, each day in the virtual classroom. And somehow being, somehow that's shifted things and allowed different kinds of questions and different kinds of teaching to take place in, in a positive way too. I'm interested in um, how this experience uh, in our current COVID situation has has shifted your thoughts about either teaching or leadership or or, or both. Yeah, I think um, through this crisis, it has become so much more apparent to me that our role as a teacher is more about the social support, social emotional support for students and us being a constant in their life than it is for the actual academic. We really need to be there for our students. And we are like the second parent to a child. Um, and I've had so much feedback from from parents saying like, it, it's so nice that you are, you're a familiar face for my child. And them seeing you calm, them seeing you relaxed and there for them, that's what's important right now. And I think that's, that's really true. And maybe this comes more from, from me being a primary school teacher, but I would even argue that for, for secondary school teachers. I think mm-hmm. yeah. I think professionals are not comfortable with, with having that role, but I think that's kind of what we're called to do right now. Why aren't professionals um, feeling comfortable in that role? I actually kind of wondered that even before the crisis, that some of the best, I, you know, I teach literature and some of the most interesting conversations is are things that sort of happen sort of naturally, something happening outside, you know, before school or, and, and the intervention is way more interesting, even as a secondary teacher, way more useful, it seems like, than, than some of the poetry we talk about in class. So why, why are professionals not comfortable? I mean, if you think back, I, I've only been teaching for five years and how much of my, my coursework leading up to becoming a teacher was dedicated to social emotional learning. Yeah. None of it. Yeah. I had what one children's psychology class, Mm -hmm. like that part of that load that a teacher takes on. It's not really, that's not what you're marketed as you're kind of, you go into the profession, like with this idea that you're going to go to the classroom and you're going to teach this content. And that's what you're there to do. I don't think that's really the, I think the social emotional support is kind of the unspoken role of a teacher. Mm. Yeah. It's become even more clear for sure. Even like you said, in even in secondary as well, it's become more clear after having had this experience. Okay. Uh, a final couple of questions here, maybe exactly on that note after this experience with our current you know, crisis, What's one thing that you'll add to your teaching practice and one thing that you'll take away? Oh, I think I'm definitely going to add the, the feeling of time, um, allowing more time for my, to be there for my students emotionally. I think oftentimes, like, you know, sometimes they come in from, from the break and they want to, they're just like dying to tell you something. And you're thinking like, oh, come on, we only have the lesson. Um, but really what's, what's important in that situation? Is it, I think being there for our kids again, I keep saying that, but I think that's really the role 
that a teacher needs to, will be taking on. So I think I will definitely be adding the feeling of, I hope that I add, you know, the sense of time for my students and the students feel that I am to listen to them there. I'm willing to hear them. Um, and one thing that I will take away is, I guess the opposite is feeling rushed. I really hope that I don't follow, fall back into that, of that feeling of, oh, we need to carry on with the units and, or with the standards. Um, and really we just need to focus on that child and where they are at in that moment. That is so, such a powerful takeaway. Time is so changed from this, from this, uh, this crisis. It's, it's really powerful. Yeah. And I think one thing that shocked me about this, it's, it was insane to me how quickly things slowed down Yeah, with a crisis. It was a matter of not even a day yeah. and it suddenly all this time is freed up. What would you want administration to know after this crisis about teaching, about teachers, about students? Um, I hope that everybody knows how much work it is to teach online. Um, I have so much more respect for teachers that teach online. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think the role, again, I'm going to go back to the role of the teacher. I think that needs to be emphasized. And I hope that that leaders start to put a little less pressure on, on content um, and more focus on the emotional well-being of a child and of their teachers, too. Um, I think this, this crisis is hitting everybody a little bit differently and accepting the fact that we're all dealing with different things mm -hmm. in this. We're all coping with this differently. And I think that goes with everything in life. Everybody has their challenges. Um, and I will say, I, I do feel very, very understood by, by my administration, but I think, um, that's one thing that as a teacher, I hope that I start to, to look through the lens a little bit differently for my colleagues as well. Last question you take on, let's say you take on a new responsibility or a new role in your ideal world. What, what is it? And I don't mean, I don't mean exactly like a job title, but what, what, if you could be responsible for something in your community, in your school organization, what, what would it be? Cause we started this conversation talking about emerging leaders and, one of the things that's become really clear to me in talking with you that you have such a strong sense of like of what what it is that could be added to your school curriculum or your school environment and i'm just sort of curious as to maybe you might articulate what role that you see yourself playing in that or that you see as a need i would say like team building for international students i think in international schools we often kind of categorize people by where they're from. Um, and when, especially younger students or really anybody that has, that's coming to a new school without, without the language, um, without the language to communicate their feelings. And oftentimes students aren't, depending on the cultures, they're not able to communicate their feelings in their mother tongue. So expecting them to do it in a second language is very challenging. Um, I think a role that I would see myself in is almost like a um, community, community outreach, um, leader in a school to connect students to 
to the greater area that they're that they're in again international schools they sometimes become like this bubble in a city yeah for sure um and i think you miss out on so many opportunities when you close yourself off so the the podcast originally ended right around here and then anna and i had a nice conversation and somehow we found ourselves uh, back into the the topic of emerging leadership and and her own roles in the organization, which I found really fascinating, um, way too fascinating not to include in this podcast. My one of my bosses um, called me and asked if I would like to be the point person for facilitating best practices for online learning, and I was kind of like what on earth makes you think I can do that? Um, but I'm hoping to kind of use that as my assessment piece for that course. And I don't know, like create like a little guidebook for our school. Oh, that'd be great. Um, Why didn't you talk about this in the podcast? That See, I knew you had all these like emerging leadership responsibilities because you talked about it before. I, I knew that there's a whole like, you have a whole like pile of those kinds of things, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the school that I'm at, it's like this startup mentality a little bit. So it just seems like everybody is constantly being assigned different roles. And you're kind of always taking on this, this responsibility of being more than just a teacher. Um, So I'm also doing like overseeing, like curriculum development for for our school or for the primary section of the school. And that's really just working with the curriculum coordinator. Um, and kind of putting my voice out there for for primary school and how to best support the teachers there. Um, But yeah, I think sometimes I forget, and especially when I compare my time now to my previous school, I forget how many roles I'm given. Um, And I was like, we were were reflecting on, um, we were reflecting on this whole online teaching thing. And, you know, some schools are, I was talking with with one of the admin team members last week about it. And he was saying that there's some schools out there that are really, really struggling to get this off the ground. And it's kind of like for our school, it's like, it's just another thing. Yeah. Because you have that mentality. I mean, there's something about that organization. You have the mentality, I guess. Yeah. Which is, I will say sometimes it is very overwhelming, but I think sure. I like, I, I do take it for granted of how many leadership opportunities are given to me. Hmm. Do you like that? I do. Um, at first, it was kind of like, why Why are you asking me this? Like, what makes you think I'm even qualified? And I remember like when I had taken it on, I was like, I've only been teaching for five years. And then I was talking to some colleagues and they're like, that's a good amount of time to be in the classroom. Um, so I think having that, what I struggle with is really having that confidence to to take it on. But I've learned that through my with my admin, I can, I, it's okay to fail. Um, and I, I'm very lucky in that sense. Um, and it's a good kind of starting place for somebody that wants to go into leadership. What would you say to people who are like reluctant to take on those roles or like if, if their manager or administration approaches them like, and they get a role that they're not comfortable with, or like, they feel like in in your shoes, I haven't been teaching long enough, or I don't really know how to do this. What would you say to them? I think you have to say you have to own it, like take on a role and you have to be completely honest if you have no idea what to do or you need any sort of guidance. Um, 
that's like with this whole culinary guild, like I was totally freaked out by it. And then I've had to learn to be like, I'm not going to wait for admin to come and tell me I'm doing something wrong or I should change something. I'm just going to go to them and say, look, this is where I'm struggling. What can you do to support me? And half the time they're like, no, you're doing fine. But it's just like that reassurance is for some reason needed. Do you, do you like that feeling a little off balance sometimes? Or it's, it sounds like, it sounds like if you're willing to try things that are open to them, but you're also sort of, there's a little bit of a risk there. It sounds like at the organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think that's maybe why, I mean, just you saying that now, it's kind of been like, wait, when I'm like just the classroom teacher, I kind of become this like expert and I have this power. And I told you before that like power is not a driving force for me. So I think having that like being on edge and being challenged is what is what works for me. And maybe that's why I don't want to necessarily just stay in the classroom because I'm not comfortable with just being in charge um, fully. I like to have a challenge. That's such a, that's, it's, I wouldn't have expected that to be a motivator for people interested in leadership roles, which is that, of course, people want are curious or want to be challenged in a certain way, but also like almost wanting to cede authority or look at other perspectives. I think that's such a cool thing. And it sort of speaks to the other things you're talking about, like community building and this idea of re- outreach and international environment. That's, that's really interesting how, how connected all those things seem to be. Yeah, I think definitely like seeing it from another perspective is, and that's one thing that I fear with like just being in a classroom, you really only see the school from the perspective of a classroom teacher. Um, If you're never given these roles and responsibilities, you can only see it from one side. So I think you have to kind of create that no matter where you're at, you know, if, if that means like taking up a coaching position and leading a team of students um, have that little pocket of, I don't know, opportunity is the right word where you can try things out, um, and challenge yourself. I can't think of a better place to end. Um, I really, really appreciate your time and thank you for being generous with your, your thoughts and and your perspective. Much appreciated, Anna. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Of course. It was enjoyable. (laughs) Good. I'm, I'm really glad. Once again, a huge thank you to Anna. I really enjoyed that conversation with her, learning a little bit more about her perspective, the work that she's doing in Hamburg, and also you know, what it means for her to be an emerging leader or a change maker within an organization. Super, super inspirational. Okay, if you enjoyed the podcast, could you please like, subscribe, leave a comment on every platform you possibly could, uh, share it with your friends. I'm, I'm really enjoying doing this and I'm looking forward to sort of broadening the outreach and then the different kinds of guests we might be able to bring on. On that note, if you are a guest, if you're in, or interested in becoming a guest rather, could you please get in touch with me on theconnectedpodcast.com. Really looking forward to these conversations and all the best until next time.